Morning, everyone. Um, so as Jamie said at the beginning of the service, as a church, we're going through the Bible course at the moment. And at this stage, we're at the point in our journey um, where the Israelites are in exile. So we're going to be looking at Daniel today. Um, Beck shared last week with us about the prophets and how God sent prophets to try and remind the Israelites of their covenant relationship with God and the consequence of turning away from him would be exile. Now, unfortunately, the Israelites didn't value the covenant and carried on doing things their own way. So God gave their enemy, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, victory over them and he permitted them to take Jews back to Babylon as exiles. Now, you might be thinking, why on earth does looking at the exile have anything to do with us today? You might be thinking, why on earth is this going to help me in my own life? But it's really interesting, because if we look at some of the passages in the New Testament, which were written a long time after the exile, Hebrews 11 talks about some of the amazing people of faith throughout the Bible, And it says in verse 13, they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, 18 to 19, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. 1 Peter 1, 17 says you must live in reverent fear of him, which is God, during your time as foreigners in the land. Some translations actually say throughout your time of exile. So these passages compare our time here on earth as children of God to living in exile. We live on earth as foreigners, as nomads, knowing that our real home is in heaven and that someday God has promised we'll return to him, him there. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of a nomadic lifestyle in a foreign land does not fill me with great excitement. I'm definitely a home bird. I love my sofa. I love my bed. Whenever we go shopping, Jamie has to drag me away from the rugs and the pot plants and the scented candles because I just love making my home feel even more homely. Don't get me wrong, I love a holiday, especially in the sun. I love a good adventure. But there is just something about that feeling of home that I love. We aren't here forever. And whether you love that idea or you're like me and you don't totally love that idea, the amazing truth is that we all have a home to look forward to. Just as the Israelites in exile looked forward to the day they would return to their home in Jerusalem. But for now, God has assigned us to this world. So how do we live here and now throughout our time in exile, in this looking forward time? Well, I was praying about this morning, and I was reminded of the fact that actually Daniel didn't just survive in exile. He actually thrived with God's help. He faced difficulties, yes, but he saw miracles, and he received favor from kings, And he used the gifts God had given him, natural and supernatural, to bring glory to God. And I think that's both an encouragement and a challenge for us today. We aren't meant to just survive here on earth until we reach heaven. We've been assigned here to thrive. We will face difficulties, but actually we will see miracles. We will see favor. And God has given each one of us gifts to use for his glory. 
But this thriving doesn't happen automatically, and it's definitely not something that's easy. So today, using the example of Daniel and some other scriptures, I have compiled four points for us to start thinking about how to excel in exile. Now, I've not got a huge amount of time this morning, so it's not going to be an extensive list. But my real prayer is that actually as I share these, um, that the Spirit will just prompt you with even one nugget this morning to take home and to put into practice. So point number one of how to excel in exile, live pure. Daniel was one of the young men taken into exile, and he, along with the other Jewish young men from royal or noble families, were taken to serve in the royal palace. They were trained in the language and the literature of Babylon, and they were given Babylonian names. And when we read about this in Daniel chapter 1, it's clear that actually the king's idea isn't just to have these strong, healthy, good-looking, bright young Israelites serve him, but actually he's intentionally trying to indoctrinate them, their minds and their hearts. They're being renamed, re-educated, and given a Babylonian diet, And all of this is a deliberate attempt to make them forget the God and traditions of their home and to become conformed to the ways and the gods of Babylon. For example, Daniel's name meant God is my judge, and it was changed to Belshazzar, which means Bel protects his life, Bel being a Babylonian god. So I guess the idea was that after this training period, they would be fully Babylonianized. Now, Daniel didn't object to his Babylonian name, and he was fine about receiving a Babylonian education, but he refused to eat the food and the wine given to him. Verse 8 of chapter 1 says, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. So he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So instead, he's stuck with this diet of vegetables and water. Now, there are loads of theories for this. I did a bit of research, and there's places that say it might have been that the meat was unclean according to Jewish law, or perhaps the food and wine had been offered to Babylonian gods. Um, It might simply have been that Daniel wanted to take up the fast to be set apart. Um, Also, sharing a meal in these times was a covenant of friendship. So perhaps Daniel refusing the food from the king was his way of refusing any friendship with the king and what that might entail. So there's loads of theories, but the point is that Daniel and his three friends were convicted that if they ate this food and drunk the wine, it would defile them in the eyes of their God. So they determined not to eat it. They refused to compromise their purity and they were willing willing to risk their lives for it. Mike sent me a podcast last week that was talking a bit about Daniel, and they asked this question, how do these teenagers taken into exile, studying the language and literature of the Babylonians, have the wisdom, the courage, the faith, and the confidence to stay faithful in exile? These boys were only about 15 years old. They'd been taken away from their town, their family, their traditions, the dwelling place of their God, and put in a situation that was deliberately attempting to make them forget all of this. There must have been temptation. So how did they still have the courage and the discipline to live pure? 
In the book of Chronicles, we read about this revival that took place under King Josiah. Josiah discovers the law whilst the temple is being cleared out, and it causes him to move into this full-scale repentance, tearing down idols, burning up these um, articles made for false gods, and he calls the people back to God. This is the environment that these young exiles were formed in. The fruit of that revival was young men with hearts after God, disciplined and courageous enough to excel in exile. When we read in Daniel chapter 6 that we read in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel actually was in this rhythm of praying three times a day. So whilst the rest of Babylon was feasting on these rich foods and wine for breakfast, lunch and dinner, Daniel feasted on God, time with him in his word. Now that is a diet that will keep us pure. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Daniel and his three friends obeyed God's word. They refused to conform to the patterns of the world they'd been placed in. They honored God by walking in purity, and they thrived because of it. Can we say that about our own walks with God? That we honor God by walking in purity? That we refuse to conform to the patterns of this world? That we obey God's word? There were obviously a lot of other Israelites taken into exile who actually decided to enjoy the food and the wine that the king had laid out for them. They may have felt they had no other option, or they may have not wanted to risk asking, or maybe they even enjoyed the privileges of the luxury. God kept them alive, but they didn't thrive in the same way as Daniel and his friends did. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Whether we're aware of it or not, we're daily being indoctrinated by our culture. We can be walking with God, but still consuming our culture and the things that this world says are acceptable. For example, It's okay to get drunk on a Friday night. It's the weekend. It's okay to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Everybody does it. It's okay to gossip with work friends. It doesn't do any harm. It's okay to chase money for security. It's okay if you don't have time for God every day. But guys, we will only thrive in our walk with God here on earth if we daily, moment by moment, choose a diet that pleases him. We need to be set apart, feasting on him and his word. This is such a challenge, but actually the more we spend time with God and allow his word to shape us and the way we live, the more we will learn to know God's will for our lives and for every decision we make. We all need help in this, We need to get people in our lives who actually we give permission to challenge us on how to live pure. People in our life who will pray for us, who we can share what we're struggling with. Psalm 139 verse 23 to 24 is actually a really helpful prayer to pray for walking in purity. 
Search my heart and point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. So point one, live pure. Point two, live surrendered. So 1 Peter 1, 17 to 19 says, you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Reverent fear isn't about being scared of God, but it's acknowledging who he is and all he's done for us. If we really do that, we will want to surrender our lives to him. There's an amazing example of this in Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar builds this massive idol and commands everyone to bow down and worship it or else they'll be thrown into this blazing furnace. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refuse to bow down. They refuse to serve or worship the gods of Babylon. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. We will re- he will rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Isn't that a perfect picture of living in reverent fear of God? Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to live in reverent fear of him and to serve his God, but they refused to surrender to anyone or anything other than the one true God, and they were willing even to die for it. It sort of makes you think, how often do we surrender to the things of this world, and it's not even our lives on the line? The king was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he threw them in the furnace so hot that even the soldiers who threw them in actually died. But these three men came out of that fire unharmed. God was glorified, and the three men were promoted to even higher positions. Surrendering our lives to God won't always be the easiest way. In fact, the Bible promises us trials but it will always be the best way. Paul writes in Romans 12:1, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. When we start to even understand a small amount of what God has done for us, Being able to give our lives in sacrifice and surrender is an absolute privilege. What a privilege to be able to sacrifice and surrender our finances to God. What a privilege to be able to surrender our time to him, our priorities, our family, our worship. I believe God is doing something big in this church and in this community that he's beginning to release something amazing. But this is going to require us not only living in purity and integrity, but I believe it's going to require each one of us living totally surrendered to him. There will be no room for idols or for lukewarm. 
We need to refuse to surrender to the things of this world and choose to surrender ourselves as living and holy sacrifices to God and watch and faith in expectation at what he will do. So point number two, live surrendered. Number three, live invested. Now I'm sure of you... I'm sure most of you will have heard that verse in Jeremiah. It's a classic verse that gets passed around. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for harm. Well, that verse is part of the word that the prophet Jeremiah received from God. And he wrote down in a letter to all the people who had been exiled. It's in Jeremiah 29. And we know from Daniel chapter 9 that Daniel actually read this letter Jeremiah starts off by urging the Israelites to build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the produce, marry, have kids, have grandkids, multiply. Then verse 7 says, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. They may have been temporary residents in Babylon, But God wanted the Israelites to thrive in their exile. And that required them investing and settling. It could have been so easy for the Israelites not to bother, to have this attitude of, well, we're not going to be here forever anyway, so what's the point? Why would we bother planting gardens that we're not going to get to enjoy the fruit of? Let's not get married or have children until we're settled somewhere. But God wants them to unpack their suitcases and settle in, to live like they're staying, to live in Babylon as they would in Israel. We're temporary residents here on earth. And whilst God calls us to be set apart, he wants us to invest, to work for the peace and prosperity of the places he's called us, to build, dig, plant, harvest, to live on earth, as it is in heaven. If we look at verse 6 of Jeremiah 29, God wants the Israelites to build and to plant in order that they might multiply. That word for multiply means to become great. So God wants his people and his kingdom to become great. We need to invest in building the things of God's kingdom on earth, as in our homeland, heaven. We need to invest in planting seeds for his kingdom, even if we never get to see the fruit this side of heaven. We must multiply. We must make the kingdom of God great so that the earth might know and experience God's prosperity. Daniel refused the food and wine, but he was happy to invest time in learning the language, the culture, the the literature, so that God could use him right in the middle of it. When I worked at the message in Manchester, they had these things called Eden teams um, that were basically teams of people that would uproot and moved into these deprived estates all over the UK to help rebuild community and to just live the gospel. Um, and the guy who oversees this, these teams did a talk once, and he had moved, in, moved his family into one of these estates And he was saying how the local school was pretty bad, had quite a terrible reputation, but actually he chose to send his children there. 
And he had all these people saying, asking him, why, why didn't you send your kids to the school just outside the estate that's much better? But he said, I put my children in that school and I became a governor. I made it my mission to make that school the best place for my kids because if it wasn't good enough for my kids, then it wasn't good enough for any of the children on that estate. We must work for the peace and prosperity of the place God's put us, of Merley, of Wimborne, of this world. Pray, for the, pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Jeremiah 29:13 says, "If you seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you." Let's seek God wholeheartedly, and we will find him. Find where he's moving, where his kingdom is at work, even in our times of exile. Let's invest our time, our money, our prayers in building, digging, planting and harvesting there. Live invested. So live pure, live surrendered, live invested. And finally, finally, point four for how to excel in exile, live bold. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we're not alone in this exile. We've not left God's dwelling place behind because actually God now dwells in us. We have the spirit of the living God in us. A spirit not of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We carry the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah, and we will not be silenced. Daniel was bold enough to choose purity in a culture that that was not a priority. Daniel was bold enough to choose prayer and time with God, even when he was faced with the threat of being thrown in a lion's den. Daniel was bold enough to glorify God and to be his mouthpiece in a culture that just did not want to know him. Daniel was bold enough to stand up for what he believed in and live a life that reflected that, even in exile. Do we have that same boldness? As temporary residents here on earth, we will face rejection. We will face temptation and persecution. But remember that if the world hates us, it hated Jesus first. We must make it our mission to boldly proclaim his name and to boldly live his kingdom, not striving, not living in fear, but actually in healthy discipline and radical obedience. We have the truth, guys, and we've been assigned here to live that truth and share that truth. We must make it our mission to boldly take up our swords and shields in the spiritual realm and declare God's kingdom come, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, contending for a church that will thrive in exile, in purity and surrender, and a world that will know Jesus. So no matter what trials or joys we experience or face here on earth, we can boldly wait for the day when Jesus returns and we will enjoy the banquet being prepared in heaven for us where we belong. But for now, live pure, 
Live surrendered, live invested, and live bold.